the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you. Thank you for joining me. We are live every day from 3 to 5 on KKLA 99.5 FM in all of Los Angeles and surrounding areas. And we're also on in San Diego on KPRZ, KPRZ, AM 1210 and FM 106.1 in North County every day, Monday through Friday from 3 to 5. And we get together to have some conversation for some encouragement, some some understanding about the news and uh, the issues of the day from a Christian perspective. And I thank you for joining us. You can give me a call and join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. That's 888-LA-TALKS, 888-528-2557. I like to encourage you to put that in your phone. That way you've always got it ready. That way if there's something that comes up and you're just like, you know what, I just really, really want to say something, you've got that number. You just say, hey, call Southern California Live. You say, hey, Siri or Alexa or however you call these days and uh, put that right in your contacts, 888-528-2557. You can also email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. All right, so lots going on in the uh, world today. Uh, it's a big story worldwide, I guess, when the uh, British Prime Minister resigns and Boris Johnson resigned today. This is what he had to say. Boris Johnson is the Prime Minister, still the Prime Minister, the way their system works, of uh, the United Kingdom. I know that there will be many people who are relieved and uh, perhaps quite a few who will also be disappointed. And I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. Them's the breaks, he had to say today. Them's the breaks. And uh, I'm going to keep that around, uh, you know, just to say that once in a while, because that's, you know, that's the way life goes, right? But them's the breaks. That's right. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Um, he is, uh, if you don't know, Boris Johnson has been the uh, prime minister of England for the last few years. He's kind of the almost equivalent of Donald Trump, uh, at least in the hair department, if not anywhere else. It's kind of remarkable, actually, how similar uh, those two guys are when it comes to their hairstyle and also some of their uh, their governing and their ways to get themselves in trouble uh, by things that they have to say. Uh, actually, he had a very difficult time being uh, prime minister. Um, he came on shortly after the uh, Brexit when the uh, British people decided to leave the European Union and he had to get that fixed and he did. And uh, in spite of his own issues, things were going pretty well until COVID. And everything changed, you know, when the COVID happened. I think people people didn't really understand how to how to deal with that even politicians and leaders and when have you dealt with that it's been 100 years since there was any pandemic they didn't know how to deal with it then either and um you know so sometimes things just happen to you but them's the breaks there were lots of character and style questions about Boris Johnson and he got in a lot of trouble in the last couple of years because stories came out that during the shutdown during the restrictions during the COVID, he was going to parties and breaking the shutdown and quarantine rules, uh, much like our own Governor Newsom. But them's the breaks. And uh, he got in a lot of trouble uh, for that. But ultimately, his downfall came not from those law-breaking parties. There's a video going around. It's an old video. If you see it, it's hilarious. It's not, it's not from a COVID party. When it came out, there's this picture of Boris Johnson dancing with a woman who's a member of parliament. And the woman is holding a lightsaber. 
and they're just dancing at some party, and it's the most bizarre thing. And people were saying, you were doing this in COVID, and they're not wearing masks or anything. But actually, that video was from 2013, um, and uh, not during the COVID. But apparently, he was going to uh, parties and doing things that were uh, restricted for uh, everybody else. You know, with leadership... These are the things that bring you down. Ultimately, he was brought down. Uh, he had some some midterm. Uh, it's not the right term for England, but in our case, we would think of it as midterm elections where he lost some seats in Parliament. And uh, But there was an event last week in a private members club in St. James where uh, one of his um, people in his party was uh, drinking far too much and uh, groping a couple of guys, apparently. And apparently he knew something about this and then denied it and kept changing his story. And uh, everyone just got tired of it. And that was the end. And everybody, what happened is a bunch of his cabinet and people close to him started resigning. About 50 people resigned their positions with the purpose of saying, I'm not going to work for you anymore. And when when that happens, you've got to resign. And he fought it. Even yesterday, he said, uh, I'm not going to quit. But it was it's clear that he needed to quit. So here's what happens in uh, in England, uh, the place that we uh, broke away from, that we just celebrated earlier this week. Uh, what happens there is he will actually remain prime minister. So he's resigning, but there won't be a national election. There'll just be an election from his own political party. And essentially the prime minister, it's like the first minister, it's the one in charge of the party. So if you're the majority party or you've, you've got that rule, you're number one person becomes the prime minister, functioning in a way like the president does. And if you resign, then your party's still in power. Your party gets to pick somebody else. So he's going to stay the prime minister probably for a while, maybe even through the fall uh, until they pick somebody else. Because he's a controversial figure, um, he may leave earlier and then they'll get sort of a temporary uh, prime minister. But them's the breaks. Yeah, that would be what would happen to you if you, you just have to quit earlier. Being truthful matters. Can we point this out? I think we see this with public figures, whether they're political figures or they are are people in our own life, people in our workplace. What I find interesting in in political resignations or even resignations at your company or in churches, so often, right, it's the dishonesty that ultimately brings you down. Now, often the actions are bad enough to bring you down on their own, right? But sometimes the actions themselves, well, maybe not. If he would have been honest about what happened and maybe fired these people that were uh, doing these bad things, he might still be the prime minister. Um, If he would have just followed his own shutdown rules, he might still be the prime minister. He might have had enough popularity to go through it. But when we are not truthful, um, we lose credibility. We lose our standing. And even if we are a good leader, even if we have skills, even if we are the needed leader, we lose that credibility. And sometimes, you know, people who are in politics, they just, it just puts out, they'll just lie. We'll have a falsehood. Uh, sometimes, though, it's, uh, you don't really know what you're talking about. So you're saying things that aren't true, but uh, you, you think they're true at the, at the moment. And sometimes you are trying to tell the truth, but you have bad communications people. And uh, the communications people really mess it up for you. But them's the breaks. Yeah, that happens. That happens quite a bit. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is Southern California Live. And I've been thinking about this because President Biden is uh, not in a position where he's going to resign or anything like that. And it would be different if he resigns. There, The Democrats don't pick a new leader. They already have. It's Vice President Kamala Harris. She would become the president. And uh, then uh, the the Senate or the House, I need to think about that. I think it's the House. No, it's the Senate. The Senate would pick another vice president. 
and probably President Harris would nominate someone to be the vice president, and that person would accept, and then there would be maybe some kind of hearing, and then the Senate would make that person vice president. That's how it would work if something like that were to happen here. Uh, and if both Biden and Harris were to resign or something happened to them, Nancy Pelosi would be the president, even though she's uh, in Europe right now on vacation. Uh, and good for her. She gets to have a vacation, right? And if not her, it would be Patrick Leahy. Patrick Leahy is the fourth in line to the presidency. He is the uh, president pro tem of the Senate, and uh, he's in the hospital right now because he fell and broke his hip. And uh, we do hope that he gets better. Uh, but this is what happens when everybody's an octogenarians running the country. So President Biden is uh, he's in some trouble here and he's in some political trouble because of his messaging. And this is what he's being told. And they're making a lot of changes uh, at the White House because of that. Kate Bedingfield, his latest senior advisor, is leaving the administration and people are complaining about the messaging of President Biden. Um, and the the reason is, and this is something I think for us to to recognize, is sometimes, you know, politicians, they'll say things that are true from a certain point of view, uh, which means they're kind of false. But in their mind, they'll find a political way to sort of make it true. You know, when Ben Kenobi says to Luke Skywalker, uh, your father is dead, and then later on in, in Return of the Jedi, I know I'm speaking to enough nerds where this will actually, you know, connect – you know, Luke confronts him on that and says, hey, you said my father was dead. And, and Ben Kenobi says, yeah, from a certain point of view. And, uh, you know, what's left of your father is now God. It's really not truthful what Ben Kenobi had to say. Um, but from his perspective, he was protecting. You know, people come up with some kind of reason for it. And that happens in politics. You know, if it's not true, it's just not true. What I would like to see is presidents who just name it the way it is. And I, I feel like American people would respond better to any president who just puts it out there uh, the way it is. There's a uh, interview that happened on uh, Blomberg, which is a, you know, I would say it leans a little bit left, but it's an economic channel. If you want to know, people ask me all the time, how do you figure out what's true of the news because there's so much bias? And the number one answer is, I don't know. But the number two answer is you got you to gotta watch everything. You got to try to get some idea from perspectives. And when you find agreement, sort of conservative, liberal in between, you know, maybe whatever they're saying, if they agree on all sides, it's probably more likely to be true, or at least for some marketing reason, everybody's on the same narrative. You got to look into that. I found that I often find some more honesty if I watch the financial news stations, and maybe they're really low in your cable system or you don't get them. But there's a lot of uh, financial news stations that deal a lot with the the stock market and uh, business and the jobs reports, and they'll focus a lot more on that. I don't follow as much of that, but I've noticed that they talk about the news and they talk about the news from the standpoint of facts and figures because their audience is investing money and their audience, a lot of the people who are on those channels, they represent investment firms and they represent companies that are looking for customers really like a lot of news today it's really just a big commercial right you're and that's i think part of the sad part of it is you know anybody on tv you you have to pay for it that's the commercials that's what it's for how do you pay the salaries how do you pay for the electricity how do you pay for all of that well that's what commercials do we do that here that's how it works but sometimes you know you have to realize that the the bias that happens in news often is to drive those commercials. And in financial news, you're trying to drive business to financial companies so that you, John Q. American, will invest your money with that financial company because you watch them on CNBC or Fox Business or one of these news channels, right? 
So what I found is that on those stations, sometimes you get better news, and I think it's because they need to be right. They need to make statements about the economy that you can rely on. They need to make statements that if you are investing your own your own money in that guy who's on TV or that lady who's got a, uh, a firm that she wants you to invest in, you need to trust them. And it's a lot different than just hearing what you want to hear because it fits your your political persuasive, you know, uh, point of view. When you're talking about your, your wallet, when you're talking about how you invest, where your money is, you want the truth. You want it to be as right as possible. So I've noticed that. So one of the things that's happening is there's a lot of questioning of the administration on what they're saying about inflation, because a lot of it isn't entirely right. And uh, it's getting a little bit frustrating. So this is an interview from uh, Blomberg, and uh, that they are questioning a um, Biden um, spokesperson about the uh, financial messaging. Here it is. The president has made clear that his number one goal is delivering for the American people. We are in a time of crisis. We are in a time of war where where the president and our allies, we are supporting the Ukrainian people. Congress is engaged in this effort, both sides of the aisle, to say this is an important priority. Now, you're going to notice that she's going to get interrupted here by the host. That's kind of the typical political line. And we're at war and we have all this stuff. And this is where the host is breaking in. And this is where the the politics of the communication about the economy uh, is landing right now. The president has made clear that his number one goal is delivering for the American people. We are in a time of crisis. We are in a time of war where where the president and our allies, we are supporting the Ukrainian people. Congress is engaged in this effort, both sides of the aisle, to say this is an important priority. And one of the consequences is this high price of oil because of global trends. But you didn't and, answer his important and, question. Everyone, Heather, everyone in the nation wants to know the answer to the question Mr. Farrell just asked you, which is who is advising the president on shockingly naive price theory over a gallon of gas? So the president is not shockingly naive. And he's not shockingly naive. So that's why it's raising the question, why are you saying things about the gas prices like the gas stations can just lower the price? It doesn't really work that way. By the way, gas prices are going down a little bit. And part of the reason is because the price of oil is going down. Maybe the president had something to do with that. Maybe not. But that's good news, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that that will affect prices everywhere. Hopefully that will stay. In this interview, though, uh, Heather Boshi is her name. And the question to her is, where is this messaging come coming from? And I've got that question. The president this weekend said that his message to companies running gas stations and setting prices at the pump is simple. He said, this is a time of war and global peril. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you're paying for the product and do it now. Jeff Bezos, who is a, a liberal and a Biden supporter, tweeted the next thing. He said, inflation is far too important a problem for the White House to keep making statements like this. It's either straight ahead misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of the basic market dynamics. Now, of course, Jeff Bezos also runs Amazon.com. Actually, he doesn't anymore, but he's probably still making a lot of money on that, that company. That's where he uh, made his money. Uh, why is the president saying stuff like this? This is something else the president had to say uh, this week. You all remember what the economy was like when I was elected a country in a pandemic with no real plans how to get out of it. Millions of people out of their jobs. Families and cars, remember, backed up for literally miles. I remember that. That was during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I went to a couple of the events where you hand out food and I worked on it. 
there were cars for miles all over the place at food banks and other places. That should say something to us that that quick during that shutdown, people ran out of food. Uh, that was the that's the situation that I don't think just happened all of a sudden. I think that's been the situation for a long time. We don't see it because a lot of our safety net programs kind of hide that. And then when we have a crisis, it all comes out. So what Biden is going to say here, though, is he's going to blame his predecessor for all of that. But he's not really blaming that on uh, the pandemic and all the shutdowns, which he and his and both sides, really, for the most part, uh, agreed with at the time was the right thing to do. Waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk, just a box of food to be put in their trunk because they didn't have enough to eat. Previous administration lost more jobs on its watch than any administration since Herbert Hoover. Now, that's absolutely true, except that what he's not going to say is that it's because of the pandemic. And everybody knows it's because of the pandemic. That's a fact. All based on failed trickle-down economics to benefit the wealthiest Americans. Well, he wants to blame it on the Trump tax cuts and uh, the provisions. And maybe he is, you know, we can say he's right or wrong about that. But the biggest reason people lost jobs, everybody knows, is because of the shutdown. And people keep asking President Biden, why do you keep saying this? Why do you not acknowledge that it's the pandemic that did this? And here's the why. He wants to take credit for all the jobs coming back. And hit the middle class and working people the hardest. But we came in with a fundamentally different economic vision, an economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out. It's good for everyone because when the middle class does well, the poor of a ladder up and the wealthy still do very well. So there's some politics in there, but there's also the the lack of mentioning that the reason that so many people have come back to work is not because of any Biden policy or anything that the Trump administration did on its way out. It's because the pandemic is ending and people are coming back to work. And everybody knows this. So what people are wondering is, why do we keep having this message? Wouldn't it just be better to say, hey, we're guiding the country back and we've done this and that and we realize that people lost their job? I think we're longing for that. Now, I bring all of this up in a way, because I think that it's important that we hold our leaders accountable. I think, and particularly if you're a Democrat, get on that page of saying, hey, let's just talk about it the way it is, and let's talk about what we're going to do from here on out. And if you're a Republican, don't deny that that'll happen. You can blame it on the pandemic, but you, you, you need to own what you're going to do next. We're going to have elections coming up that matter greatly. We are at a time in peril. It's scary to me when the president says we're at a time of war and stuff. Are we saying that now? Are we? Uh, and I guess we are. It's just a it's um it's just a really big deal. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven is the number if you want to join the conversation. Eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. Now here's really my point in all of this. It's not to make the the political point here right and left. It's to talk about messaging and what people are saying to President Biden and maybe he's looking to fix and that's why there's so many uh, changes going on at the White House is maybe the messaging is wrong. Who's telling him to say all of that? Who's the one who wants to say Putin price hike? Who's the one saying, you know, the gas stations can just lower their price? That's just not how it works. And everybody knows that. Who's telling him that? Does he really believe that? Uh, you know, what's the deal there? Let me ask you this question. How is our messaging working as the church? Can I just shift gears there a, a little bit? You know, because that's what we do. But them's the breaks. Yeah. This is what we want to do. How is our messaging as the church? What are some things that the church needs to get right about its messaging in the culture today? 
When we look at the world in 2022 and the fact that we do have a lot of disarray, the fact that many of the ideas that the world has understood about gender, uh, about uh, many different subjects, about governments, about the way things work are are being challenged and under attack, uh, and many of those are part of the understanding that we have about the world, that there really are men and women, that there really are there really is a God, that we really do have something called sin, that we really are accountable for our actions to God. We're living at a time when fewer and fewer people are acknowledging that God even exists. We're living at a time when we are changing the definition of marriage of male and female and women and men and how we interact and all of that. And the result of it is not looking very good. It is creating a lot more division and a lot more trouble How's the messaging in the church? How do we confront an era as the church where we're not confronting an era that no longer exists from a post-World War II time period, but in a post-9-11 time period, in a a period of, you know, a lot of people say, you know, post-modern era is over. It's not. It's just changed. It's just we're living in the applied era of it, where truth is not something that people necessarily think exists, where you can create truth. You can rewrite history. What is the messaging of the church? This is something I'm thinking about today. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back in just a minute as the Thursday edition continues. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today. 888 before the break, I asked the question, how is the church doing with its messaging? We're seeing in uh, the Biden administration a lot of changes going on and questions about the messaging of the Biden administration. We have seen the resignation of Boris Johnson in England in many ways because they didn't handle the truth right in some controversial things that uh, came out there. How's the church doing? How's the church doing in our messaging to a culture that doesn't know him? Or even how are we doing in in our messaging to our own people? Uh, do we understand what the message is of the church? 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. Marie from Glendale, welcome to Southern California Live. Thank you. Um, I think, in my opinion, I see a lot of watered-down messaging from the church where you don't really, you know, they're trying not to offend people. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the Bible says. You know, Bible clearly states everything you need to know about life in there. Homosexuality, money, government, everything. So, you know, I think a lot of the mainstream churches, especially the ones you see on TV, like the big, you know, famous pastors, they're just preaching a message where they don't want to offend people. And I don't think that's right. What do you think needs to be changed in uh, in that message? And is there is there a difference in the message that needs to be preached to Christians versus people who are not Christians? How are we doing in that world, in that era, that that way? Um, I mean, if you're preaching a message, you can't preach a message just to Christians and to and to non-believers. You have to preach one message for everybody. 
And I think you have to stick to what the Bible says. Right. You know, stick to the red, the red writing in the Bible. And those are Jesus' words. All right, Marie, thank you. Know, you. Yeah, thank you very much for your call. I think that, uh, you know, I think there's 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 a lot of big churches and TV guys who are doing a good job, but there's some who are not, you know, who I think it's uh, it's very much about feeling good and things like that. There's there's an interesting problem that happens when you interview people who aren't Christians. Sometimes what they say, when you ask them why you're not a Christian, there's some reasons, but sometimes they say, I'm not a Christian because I'm doing pretty well, meaning that I'm comfortable, I don't really have any problems, I'm not sick. Uh, my job is good. My house is good. My marriage is okay. I love my kids. I'm okay with their school, and we got our our things. But we're doing fine, so I don't need the church. And you know, to me, if that's the response, we've missed something, because there's the and that might be what you're talking about, Marie. In some respect, is that if the message of the church is you need Jesus, so your life is better, then to people who think their life is pretty good, they guess they just decide they don't need Jesus. How's the messaging of the church? How are we doing in this with respect to how it is heard, the message of the church, from uh, the standpoint of the non-believer or people in the culture, whether they're curious or not curious? And what is the church hearing? You know, what do we think the purpose is of the church and the mission of the church? 888-528-2557 is the number. Let's go to Laura in Long Beach. Laura, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi there. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hello? Go ahead. Hi. Thank you for calling, having me. Um, you know, we need to preach God's Word, and I'm in agreement with the previous caller that, you know, we really need to understand God's Word from beginning to end and not pick and choose. But God, God um, says that we're to love one another, and we're to preach His coming of salvation, that He sacrificed Himself so that we could have eternal life. And there's a lot of individuals that don't believe. And, you know, whether they believe or not, you know, we just have to bring them to Jesus and let Jesus deal with their sin. We're all sinners. No one is perfect. And knowing that, you know, there is forgiveness, knowing that there is eternal life, you know, at the end of the day, nothing is going to matter. It's what we do for one another is love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And we forget to love one another. Loving one another, it doesn't mean that you lie to them. You know, God's Word is is straight. It tells you everything from, you know, every sin across the board that we've all done. Mm -hmm. But it's bringing them to Jesus and letting Jesus deal with everyone because He gives us free will. Do you feel like we're and, that the the average person who doesn't go to church or is not a believer? Do you think that today in America they understand what Christianity is? No, I don't. I don't believe they understand. I think most individuals that don't believe is they don't want to believe because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to believe that what they're doing is wrong. They don't want to have to answer for anything. And you know, I go back to. Isaiah 118, where God says, come, let us reason. Let's reason through everything. Mm. If there is no final judgment, if I don't have to give accountability to anyone, then why is there all these rules? Why do I need to be nice? Why anything? And when you start putting it in that perspective, you know, you start to see, you know, if somebody caused the sin upon you and now you're reacting and you're not really understanding all this pain 
and you're interpreting all this pain and trying to deal with it yourself, not realizing that you really don't have to. You just give it to Jesus and let him deal with it. And I don't think a lot of people really want to just give accountability to that. They want to sugarcoat it and, and pretend it doesn't exist and it won't exist. But one day, unfortunately, they'll be faced with that. Yeah. How would you say we change our messaging? Because I, I would say a couple of things is that in in one sense, I think you're right. People, if they don't believe in God or they just simply are rejecting the story of, of Christ and the need for salvation, then, yeah, they don't want to be accountable. We can just be accountable to ourselves or, or the universe or however we want to see it. I also think there is a larger and growing part of our our population that doesn't actually understand what Christians believe. Like it, it used to be you probably went to Sunday school and you probably, you know, what's a Christian? Well, a Christian believes that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose again from the dead and that whoever believes in him, you probably could quote it in our country even if you never went to church or you're not a believer. I'm not sure that's true today, that we have been able to communicate outside our walls the grace of Jesus Christ. Would you say that that's correct? I would say that that is correct. Um, you know, I was brought up Catholic, and it was just so many things were distorted. Um, unfortunately, hmm. I don't believe that a lot of individuals say they're Christians and really don't even know what it is that God's Word says. They yeah. don't study God's Word. They don't They don't see His love. Um they don't see the patience, his mercies, um, the grace. They, they just see, oh, well, there's all these laws or there's all these rules. But God is love. And yes, he loves all, but he hates our sin. And we're all sinners. I am like no one to judge anyone else. You know, we're all in it mm-hmm. together. But I, I told someone, and I'll tell everyone, the difference between me and a non-believer is that I acknowledge my sin, that I am a sinner, and that I need Jesus Christ. doesn't mean I don't sin. I try not to sin because I know I have more accountability. But it's really reading His Word and understanding. And I, there's a lot of Christians, unfortunately, or, or individuals yeah. that call themselves Christians that don't know God's Word. And so right. His God, God's Word is getting distorted. Yeah. The message is distorted. Yeah, thank you, Laura. I want to go on to the uh, next call, but I think that you uh, you have a very good point. That, and that's what I'm getting at with the message. There's a message to the culture at large. Hey, this is the message of Jesus. What's the message of people who are in the church? Are we understanding what the Bible says, even as Christians? 888-528-2557 is the number. Southern California Live, if you want to join the conversation. 888 2557, James and Irvine, welcome to Southern California Live. Hi, how are we going? Good, James, how are you? Good, good, thank you. Um, so my point is kind of a little bit on the on the legislative side. I know that AB 2223 was a infanticide bill, mm-hmm. um, and there was hardly any outcry from the church from what I know. I know the Calvary Chapel up in uh, the Los Angeles area sent about 1,200 people up there up to the steps of the Capitol to protest, or not necessarily protest, but they just uh, put their message out there that this is not right and that, um, you know, abortion is uh, totally against what God's vision is for, you know, uh, a man and a woman having a baby. Um, There's other uh, bills that are totally um, against what the biblical perspective is. And just recently, I guess they uh, they signed it into law that uh, prostitution was going to be legal. 
I think the, I think the church in general, I go to a very large church in Irvine that I recently wrote a letter to the pastor explaining where is the church today? I mean, there are, I mean, I know we're expanding our, our mission uh, across the world and, and uh, you know, building many churches and stuff like that across the mm-hmm. uh, Orange County. However, we're not really spreading the message of what, you know, across the state or even across this nation, what the church needs to be. Um, it, needs to, it needs to stand up and I think just needs to look at being more like lions and not sheep, as they say. Um, they're totally losing ground of, of where we need to go back to, I guess you could say. All right. And be more of a... Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Oh, that, thank you for your call, James. I appreciate that. And uh, I got some other calls. I got to take a break in a minute, so I want to get to the calls. You know, I think what I'm hearing too from you, James, is there's there's a messaging issue here, and that's in a way where I'm getting at is that some churches are involved in these political issues in the state, and I'm wondering if we even explain those things very well or why, or if if we feel like that's the right approach or not. And where is it the, how is the church doing in communicating what Jesus wants us to communicate? How do we even know what that is? 888-528-2557. Nate in Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Nate. How are you today? Good, good. Um, I think the message should be mainly focused on the things that were not inherited of the kingdom, um, like idolatry, adultery, and uh, fornication. That's you don't hear that much about it. There's so many so-called Christian couples who are in relationships. Most of them have no plans of getting married, so they're in the life of fornication. Uh-huh. And, you know, when a, when a Lord comes like a thief in the night, how many people are going to be laying next to their mate and they're unrepented of this because they continuously does it? So things like that and, and letting everybody know what real idolatry is so we make sure we're not falling under that category. Do you think um, that the uh, do you think that the church is not doing well in its messaging because we're we're not following Jesus and the way we live our life? No, it's just like if you don't hear certain things, it's, it's like out of sight, out of mind. So people that go to church, a lot of people don't read their Bibles. Uh, you know, as sad as that is, so they depend on messages to come from the pastor. So if the pastor is not teaching on certain things, it won't open their eyes to certain things. And like I say, the things that what keep us out of the kingdom are the things that we should mainly focus on to make sure we're aligning ourselves under that. A lot of people out there are getting remarried and they're still in the church. You know what I mean? All right, you know, Nate, I got to, I got to take a break and uh, we'll come back to everybody's calls. Thank you for calling Nate. And uh, the question I'm asking is about the messaging of the church. I think there's, there's two different ways to look at it. One is how are we clarifying and communicating the gospel in our culture to people who aren't believers in our relational worlds and uh, even outside of that and how are we doing inside our churches you know where where is it that we can make an adjustment to how we are messaging to help more people understand who Jesus is and to make disciples to do better with that 888-528-2557 is the number this is Southern California Live I'm Scott Furrow I'll be back in just a minute with the Thursday edition of Southern California Live stay tuned Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Welcome to welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I almost said welcome to Scott Furrow, like you're in the room. It's good to be with you. And uh, it's getting that time in the afternoon. We are talking about the messaging of the church and uh, what we can do and how is it? How do we get that to be a little bit better? We're seeing messaging problems in our with our politicians and with a lot of different groups out there. 
you know, there's a bunch of people trying to convince you that the uh, the sky is falling, that the world is coming to an end because of the changes in abortion laws. And yet the interesting thing is that uh, voters look at that as uh, not even close to the number one issue. Uh, I don't think the sky is falling because of that. In fact, I think, you know, um, people, uh, when they look at what really happened there, it fits more with what most people think, uh, not necessarily what is right, but uh, the world is not falling. What's the messaging of the church and how are we doing with it? 888-528-2557. Let's go to Nick, or Norm, I'm sorry, Norm in Redlands. Norm, welcome to Southern California Live. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Uh, first of all, I just want to say I think you're a great host, and you've got a great sense of humor. You keep me laughing a lot of the time. Really enjoy the show. Oh, well, thank but you very them's much. them's the breaks. Yeah, yeah, them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. <laughs> hey, listen, I think one of the big problems with preaching the Word is that churches interpret the Word differently. Hmm. Uh, they can get confusing not only to non-Christians, but to other Christian sects as well. I mean, issues such as women as pastors, um, views on homosexuality, views on even abortion. Uh, there, there are different Christian word messaging on this. I'll just uh, take your answer off the air. I'd like to hear your comments on that. Yeah, I think, uh, and uh, Norm, thank you for calling. I think that is a uh, an excellent point. You know, in the Bible, there are people who differ on on all kinds of things, right? There are different, uh, even in the church. This is not something that is new. The church differs on things. And there is always a struggle to try to get the church to focus on the main things and to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think that's something where churches, and I'm a proponent that is saying today, more than we've seen in a long time, Churches need to be finding a way to come together. Now, it has to be churches who agree on the main things, right? That Jesus is the Savior, that he is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There are certain things that you really do have to agree on, but there's not a lot of those things, all right? And that the church would have a much more powerful message and a much more powerful impact in the world if we could actually hook our shields together and and work as a team, even though we have different congregations who might have different traditions, maybe we do have a different opinion about um, women in ministry or different things. And, th- and those are serious when, in the context of, do we believe the Bible's true? But if the approach that we have is, yes, I believe the Bible's true, and I respect you that you believe the Bible's true, and our, our approach to these issues, it can be that one, or it can be, you know, Calvinism or different things, coming of Christ, different things people might disagree with. You know, if we are in a position where we think that whatever the Bible means to say is true, where if Jesus were to come here and explain exactly what we should think about predestination or women in ministry or other things like that, um, if Jesus were to come and do that, here would be my question. Are we any further along in helping people come to Christ? Meaning if Jesus were to come to your church and settle all of these issues that Christians debate— would he then look at us and say, stop wasting your time with this stuff and uh, focus on letting people know who I am? I, I think that's a very interesting thing that we need to consider is that all of these issues, they can they can tie us up internally on a whole lot of things where we might come legitimately to a different opinion than the church down the street. And if we let that be something that prevents us from working together on the big things, prevents us from working together and letting people know that Jesus died for your sins, that the spiritual angst that you have, the the spiritual uh, sense that you need something is resolved actually in the cross. That if we can't communicate that to a culture because we're too busy trying to figure out what does God know and when did he know it, 
I think that's one of the problems that we have in our messaging. Uh, the other one is, is we've got to follow Christ ourselves, And I think we need to be more about disciple making. Uh, I was at a, uh, a uh, Starbucks earlier today. It's another story. My, my wife had a uh, injury. She dropped one of those uh, very, very heavy umbrella stands, like a market umbrella type of thing on her toe. And uh, so we got to go to urgent care, which actually was a good experience. Sometimes, you know, urgent care is neither urgent nor care. Uh, but ours was really good. And um, But them's the break. Yeah, sometimes it just doesn't work out too well. But I was at the Starbucks, and I was amazed at how great it was that there were at least three different conversations on the patio, Christian conversations that were discipling in nature, where it was an older man speaking to a younger man about the scriptures and how to be a follower of Jesus. At another table, there were two men and two women, but one older couple and one younger couple having the same conversation about the scripture and doing this. There was a third table having that discussion, and I thought there must be a church nearby, and there must be a church that is really helping people make disciples. I didn't have the sense that these were the pastors. I had the sense that these were regular church-going people who are taking time out of their Thursday morning to meet with somebody who is a, in each of these cases, I thought the other person probably was a believer, to really mentor them. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm eavesdropping a little bit because I'm real curious about this, uh, you know, about what they're going to say. And I was impressed by all of it. I think we need more of that. I think that the messaging of the church is a lot more about one-on-one with people you know than it is with massive groups of people that you're never going to meet. Like there's a place for that, okay? There is a a certainly a place for church people to come together and speak to the issues of the day like abortion and the gender issues and things that are are critical just to to life and respecting life and ultimately loving one another. But most of the work of disciple making I think happens in the in the small area, biblically speaking, it's your oikos. It's the group of people that's in your relational world. I think a lot of the messaging has to happen right there. And I saw some good examples of that today. 888-528-2557. Nick in Simi Valley, welcome to Southern California Live. How you doing, Nick? Good, Scott. How you doing, sir? I'm good, fine. Uh, I wanted to second what the last gentleman said. I really enjoy listening to your radio station, and uh, you definitely make me laugh as well. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, so I was calling in, and I was thinking, uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, and I really believe, uh, I do feel that um, the message has, in a sense, been watered down um, with church in general. Um, but I really do feel that, you know, we, we I know we need the Holy Spirit to convict mm-hmm. us, and that God's going to cross to him, and the only way that's going to happen is through the hearing of God's word, um, and but I also know for me personally, in, in my coming to Christ, a big thing, uh, just Jesus convicting me and um, bringing light to those dark parts of my heart, and I, I feel like I when it really clicked for me, it was when I was really mourning over my sin, and I realized I really don't have anything to bring to God or offer Him besides my sin, and just. Um, come to him on my face, begging for forgiveness and thanking him for his grace. And um, so I, I really do feel that it is very important. Um, and I know a lot of times there's a big emotional response um, from people uh, when they hear things. And I, but I think that is that's conviction right there. Mm. And we need to be loving and patient with how people do um, 
react. Uh, I just had this conversation recently with my, my pastor saying I'm kind of concerned about, um, you know, maybe we're, we're kind of living maybe more in fear of man than God and not um, just saying what needs to be said because we're concerned about that response. And he responded, um, you know, well, you need to make sure you're not living for yourself. But you also want to make sure that's a message that they're understanding it. And he explained to me uh, when the Apostle Paul spoke to the Jews, he had a different approach than we spoke to the Gentiles. And so I was listening to him. I've been reflecting on that the last couple of weeks. And really in my heart, just trying to like analyze how can I, God, how can I love people better that haven't heard your word before and Christians that are walking with me? What can I do to, to love them and bring the gospel to them? Yeah. Nick, that's uh, that's right on. I appreciate your call and your thoughts on this subject. And I think what you said right there matters a lot, that the way we speak to people who are in different walks of life, whether they're a Christian or not, for example, about spiritual things can be different. Jesus certainly spoke differently to the Pharisees and the religious leaders than he did to the Gentiles or the lepers or the woman at the well. And it isn't that he was changing the gospel or changing the message, but he spoke to where they were. He spoke to, in the case of the religious leaders, to what they ought to know and what they weren't knowing. Um, And he challenges them. He eventually says, woe to you, because they should know better. And then he has so much grace falling out of his lips for people who know nothing, the poor in spirit, the people who uh, just don't know anything. And I think, and I got to go, I see your other calls. We'll have open line Friday tomorrow. You can call back tomorrow with anything you'd like. I just want to end with with this idea. Think about the messaging of the church, realizing that that message isn't just coming from the pulpit. That message is coming from you. And the scriptures say that they will know us by our love, not by our preaching, not by our politics, not by our stickers on our car, but by our love. And the people who will know us by our love are people that we know. It's the people that we interact with. That's where the messaging is for each one of us, that we can show the love of God, that we can we can determine, hey, this person's not a believer. I need to speak this way about Jesus, or this person goes to church. I can talk to them in another way because maybe they have this understanding, that there is an intentionality that we can have with the people that God has placed in our life and realize that we have the message. And as you just mentioned, Nick, we also have the Holy Spirit. We are not alone. We do not have to do this and figure it out for ourselves. We have God with us, and that's the way it goes. I got to go. Scott Furrow, Southern California Live, back tomorrow from 3 to 5. God bless you. Have a great Thursday. Good night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.